Welcome back for more from our workshop in the 2021 NICE project. Apologies in advance. In this episode, I, Alice, mess up and give credit to the wrong person for Star Wars. I said Roddenberry and it's George Lucas. So apologies to George Lucas and Gene Roddenberry for getting their names confused in this episode. I just was going to say, I don't think there would be a, a Star Wars if this book didn't exist. I don't think they could have come up with... I don't think Roddenberry would have come up with some of the thematic things that are in Star Wars without a wrinkle in time to look at because, you know, if you, you can look at um, the Force and and that that there is the good side of the Force and the bad side of the Force and that's it and the black thing is the bad side and love and 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 understanding and, and science and faith are the good side, right? And, but it's basically the force, you know, and the the different characters, especially the, the W's, the Mrs. W's and Aunt Beast and all those characters, they're the Yodas, they're the, they're the Jedi, you know. And um, I feel like what Roddenberry did is he just decided to make his protagonist a young young man, a young boy, you know, a teenage kid, a male, rather than, you know, a female. And, but, I mean, he even had them end up being siblings, Luke and Leia, you know, so, um, and their, their, their connection as siblings got them through some of the things that they had to struggle with with the bad side, you know, Emperor Palpatine and the bad side of the Force. So, I mean, I I really feel like this book um, birthed a lot more than than maybe people think in, in terms of what we now see as very common sci-fi themes, very common, you know, religious, uh, quasi-religious themes, I would say, because, you know, the argument can be made that anytime you're talking about themes of good versus evil, light versus darkness, those are metaphors and thematic themes, you know, for all religions everywhere through time and space. So, um, you know, and the fact that, you know, Star Wars also had universes and, and, and you know, they were time traveling around and, and they maybe didn't tesseract, but they certainly light speeded through hyperspace. And, you know, I mean, I just feel like, hmm, you know, Roddenberry's got to give a little nod to a wrinkle in time. <laughs> it's definitely part of that, that lineage and that tradition mm -hmm. that, that goes back well, several hundred years um christian specfic yeah so um and, and just so we don't have people leaving you comments when we post this uh i think you're thinking of george lucas oh was i who'd i say roddenberry, roddenberry. is the that star the trek. star trek guy i don't even like star trek i said the wrong name you're <gasps> right you're oh, right sacrilege. i'm sorry <laughs> i i just was never into star trek but um yeah no you're right george lucas i said the wrong name um are they both named george uh, Gene. Gene. Gene, George. Gene Roddenberry. Okay, That's I will say right now, you know, two-stroke survivor, I get names mixed up all the time, especially if they start with the first same letter. So Gene, George, uh, Lucas, I got Lucas confused. Yes, no, no, George, this... George Lucas. Sorry about that, everybody. Ugh. No, it's perfectly understandable. I just well, heck, maybe Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, maybe <laughs> Gene Roddenberry owes a debt of gratitude to A Wrinkle in Time. I don't know, you know. <laughs> Since I'm not familiar, that familiar with Star Trek, I can't really 
really speak on that, but because uh, I never watched it, I've never seen an episode, and I never will. But um, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> I'm not Deborah's to hang out and watch my Star Trek. Yeah, I'm not a Trekkie. Oh yeah, well, I'm not. <laughs> I remember watching the very first Star Trek on but Sunday night. I do love no, Star Wars, though. No, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for correcting me on that because I would not want to give the wrong credit for Star Wars. <laughs> Um, so, um, any any other reflections on the spiritual slash science angle before we move on? Well, I think it's really interesting that uh, Langle chose to have Meg, a girl. I mean, again, this was published in 1962. And she chose to have Meg, a female character, a young female character, be the scientific one um, of the children. I mean, Charles Wallace, the little brother, is also a genius in science and that kind of stuff, but he is more the empath. He, he has more of a soulful, spiritual nature than Meg does, if you will. I mean, it's, it, to me, that was always interesting that she kind of flipped the, the expected gender norms of, of the time period, especially for children. You know, these aren't adults, you know, these are children. And, little girls in at least you know in my uh childhood were not encouraged in, in any of the schools i went to encouraged or expected to excel in science and math we were not it was just like if you could scrape your way through that class and get a passing grade that was great you know but nobody really encouraged uh girls um, in the schools that i w was going to um, public schools you know um, in Georgia and Indiana um, to to excel in those in those uh, disciplines um, and girls as we know are typically uh, you know had been for generations thought you know expected to be kind and loving and obedient and you know spiritually minded you know if they were in a religious family or whatever they were expected to be good so it's interesting to me that Langle um, kind of flip-flopped those those uh, gender expectations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had that as a, as a note to speak about later, because you're exactly oh, right good. that this is a, this is a feminist mm -hmm. novel. <laughs> it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Meg is a great role model um, mm -hmm. and, and definitely was for young female uh, readers in the 1960s, but oh, I think yeah. continues to And be. the seventies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's bright. She's scientific. In the end, it is her actions that save her brother mm -hmm. and the planet. And and didn't we all want to have Calvin as a boyfriend? My word, he's perfect. I mean, extremely you know, and, supportive. Yeah, I mean, he was like ahead of his time as as a young young man, a boyfriend of the of the time and everything. She uh, Lango gave him characteristics that were not common in in the young male adolescent characters of the day. And I think all these young characters from five-year-old Charles Wallace through, you know, Meg and, and, and even Calvin, they all grapple with things that young people grapple with maturing into adolescence. They all question spirituality and their own purpose. And, you know, I mean, for children to be questioning that sounds absurd in a way because shouldn't children just be children and enjoy life and all that. But we know, you know, in today's world and in our own lifetimes, the children are always grappling with things. Mm -hmm. and, and these kids in this book grapple with all those same things in their 
within this story. You know, they're maybe metaphorical grapplings. They may not be exactly like real life, you know, for kids in any decade, but they're relatable, like you said at the beginning. These are relatable kids who go through relatable things. Mm -hmm. so, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I want to leave a space for Deborah. Did you want to add any personal thoughts about this book's uh, uh, marriage of the spiritual and scientific. No, it's why I've read it two, three, four times. Because, like I said, every time you read it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a different message. It's a different uh, where it's going to touch your soul, where it's going to touch your head, um, and that's why I like it. I love it that Meg gets her hands dirty. I mean, you know, as you pointed out, Alice, you know, we ha we had our ways of being being raised mm -hmm. and you know with me being the kind that ran with scissors <laughs> I, I loved it that yeah. they dared to be different yeah. and um that, that's so that interesting. i found very inspiring and you know i i remember even having conversations about meg being different even with my daughters when they were younger and they read it mm -hmm. uh as young children and uh, we talked about, you know, a, you know, a dirty child is a happy child, and mm -hmm. <laughs> whether it was actually dirt or or the, you know, the the dishevelment of uh, of adventure. Mm -hmm. That's so <laughs> funny that you say that because I I think it's it's so wonderful that as a child who, as you said, ran with scissors, you identified with that 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 kind of spirit in Meg to be that she was different and she was mathematical and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and she did what she had to do. I as a you know kind of introverted very believe it or not I used to be an introvert an introverted ill child I who was very self-conscious about being smaller than every other kid my age because of my health I hadn't grown and you know just every just I was very um all the all the more um self-doubt kind of aspects of Meg that's what I identified with and so Meg represented overcoming those things to me mm -hmm. she she represented working through those and figuring out how to figure out who she was in this world and in this case in the universes you know in mm -hmm. spite of her shyness or her feeling different or whatever and i think this book was one i went back to over and over in my childhood because i i was looking for that answer for myself now mm -hmm. i'm not saying that i found it in this book because i think life gives you that you know you find your answers in life and and that's what eventually I'm sure I eventually cut through some things just because of life but but this was definitely one of those books that I took very personally like you did Deborah you felt mm -hmm. something about Meg and that character that was very personal to you and I felt that way too so I think that's very interesting Meg gives us permission <laughs> And that's the key of feminism, really, right? To have the permission. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Something I enjoy, um, because along with the, the spiritual, is the idea of self-love, self-acceptance, weakness as strength. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, Meg's abilities are, she's recognized for those abilities and appreciated and told to grow those. Mm -hmm. But she's also given her faults. Um, and there's the idea that Meg is not lovable for her abilities. She's lovable because she's Meg. Mm -hmm. 
And there's that idea that everything in the universe, and this definitely comes out in the later series, Wind in the Door, you know, to the, the tiniest ferrandoli, mm-hmm. everything, no matter how small, has inherent value just because it is. It is inherently lovable. Right. And so that was a, a spiritual message that I really resonated with. Yeah, I like that too. I, I feel like that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot in this book, uh, you know, or, or about this book. But I think that's such a crucial uh, part of the message that Langle was, I think, really trying to get across was that that kind of acceptance and that it's not just self-acceptance and valuing yourself. It's the message that if you want to label it God, if you want to label it eternity, the force, whatever you want to label it, that the acceptance comes from that too. That every every creature, every everything, every human has value. And that's a that's a message of equality, right? That's a message of acceptance and tolerance and understanding. And I really admire her for her being Langle. I really admire her for keeping that theme um, in the entire quintet series of the mm-hmm. of these books. I feel like as as the person I am now at age 58, especially with things that are going on in the world today, just Texas, I'll just say Texas, um, you know, it's so important that we have books like this to remind us that, you know, humans have value and every every person every every person should be able to be their their self in this world safely and when we stop allowing that that's what i feel bad things happen and Mm -hmm. bad things happen in this book you know i mean this is not a oh happy happy space flight book you know it's not like that there's some scary stuff in here especially for a kid to read if if you're a certain age and you read this it's kind of scary you know (laughs) right yeah conformity is definitely not the champion in this book unity might be right as in working together for a purpose Mm -hmm. but conformity is is the enemy it's the enemy right it's that brain that wants to take over everybody by making everybody do what the brain says well Mm -hmm. that's not a happy society that's not good you know that's terrible so Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going off on a little tangent there. No, that's fine. I'll, I I'll, have, a little, I'll have a little drink of water. <laughs> Join us next time as we continue with our workshop discussion for the 2021 NICE Project.